Chapter Thirteen of From Jest to Earnest by Edward P. Rowe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter Thirteen: A Lover Quenched. Bell followed her friend to their room, full of irritable reproaches. But Lottie puzzled her again, as she had done before that day. Gaiety vanished from the face as light from a clouded landscape and with an expression that was even scowling and sullen she sat brooding before the fire heeding bell's complaining words no more than she would the patter of rain against the window then bell changed the tune retaining the same minor key however i suppose now that you will give up your shameful plot against mr hemstead as a matter of course i don't know what i'll do snapped lottie don't know what you'll do why he about the same as saved our lives this evening he saved his own at the same time well said bell exasperatingly i wish mr hemstead and all who heard the fine speeches about your kind generous heart could hear you now i wish they could said lottie recklessly they couldn't have a worse opinion of me than i have of myself but what do you intend to do about mr hemstead i don't intend to do anything about him i half wish i had never seen him that you can trifle with him after what has happened to-night is something that i did not think even of you lottie marsden i haven't said i was going to trifle with him he's a man you can't trifle with the best thing i can do is let him alone that is just what i think very well then go to sleep and be quiet how long are you going to sit mooning there till morning if i wish don't bother me after coming so near having your neck broken you ought to be in a better frame of mind so had you neither breaking my neck nor coming near it will convert me well i hope you will get through your moods and tenses to-day you have had more than i ever remember within so short a time with this comforting statement bell left her friend to herself who sat staring into the fire in the most discontented manner capable of the noblest things indeed she thought i would like to know who is capable of meaner things and now what do you intend to do lottie marsden going on with your foolish childish jest after the fun has all faded out of it if you do you will make a fool of yourself instead of him he is not the man you thought he was at all he is your superior in every respect save merely in the ease which comes from living in public instead of seclusion and in all his dividends there has been nothing so rude and ill-bred as julian's treatment of mrs Dlim. julian indeed he's but a well-dressed little mannikin beside this large-minded man and she scowled more darkly than ever at the fire but what shall i do i can't be such a christian as bell is i would rather not be one at all what's more i cannot bring my mind to decide to be such a christian as mr hemstead is i should have to change completely and give up my old self-pleasing and wayward life and that seems like giving up life itself religion is a bitter medicine that i must take some time or other but the idea of sobering down at my time of life but you may not live to see age think what a risk you ran to-night urged conscience well i must take my chances a plague on that hemstead i can't be with him ten minutes but he makes me uncomfortable in doing wrong all was going smoothly till he came and life was one long frolic 
now he has got my conscience all stirred up so that between them both i shall have little comfort i won't go with him to mrs dlimm's to-morrow he will talk religion to me all the time and i like a big baby shall cry and he will think i am on the eve of conversion and perhaps will offer to take me out among the border ruffians as an inducement if i want to live my old life and have a good time the less i see of frank hemstead the better for somehow or other when i am with him i can't help seeing that he is right and feeling mean in my wrong i will just carry out my old resolution and act as badly as i can he will then see what i am and let me alone having formed this resolution lottie slept as sweetly as innocence itself to hemstead with his quiet and regular habits the day had been long and exciting and he was exceedingly weary and yet the thoughts of the brilliant and beautiful girl who bewildered and fascinated him awakening his sympathy at the same time kept him sleepless till late every scene which they had been together was lived over in all its minutiae and his conclusions were favorable as he had said to her she seemed capable of the noblest things she never has had a chance he thought she never has given truth a fair hearing probably having had slight opportunity to do so from the little i have seen and heard it seems to me that the rich and fashionable are as neglected indeed it would appear more difficult to bring before them the simple and searching gospel of christ than before the very poor hemstead determined that he would be faithful and would bring the truth to her attention in every possible way feeling that if during his holiday visit he could win such a trophy for the cause to which he had devoted himself it would be an event that would shed a cheering light down to the very end of his life it was a rather significant fact which did not occur to him however that his zeal and interest were almost entirely concentrated on lottie his cousin addie and indeed all the others seemed equally in need it must be confessed that some sinners are much more interesting than others and hemstead had never met one half so interesting as lottie and yet his interest in her was natural he had not reached that lofty plane from which he could look down with equal sympathy for all do any reach it in this world lottie had seemed kind to him when others had been cold and slightly scornful he had come to see clearly that she was not a christian and that she was not by any means faultless through the graces of nature but she had given ample proof that she had a heart which could be touched and a mind capable of appreciating and being roused by the truth that her kindness to him was only hollow acting he never dreamed and it was well for her that he did not suspect her falseness for with all her beauty he would have revolted from her at once he could forgive anything sooner than the meanness of deception if he discovered the practical joke it would be a sorry jest for lottie for she would have lost a friend who appeared able to help her and he in his honest indignation would have given her a portrait of herself that would have humiliated her proud spirit in a way that could never be forgotten but with the unquenchable hope of youth in his heart and his boundless faith in god he expected that at no distant day lottie's remarkable beauty would be the index of a truer spiritual loveliness but as is often the case the morning dispelled the dreams of the night to a degree that quite perplexed and disheartened him lottie's greeting in the breakfast-room was not very cordial and she seemed to treat him with cool indifference throughout the whole meal 
There was nothing that the others would note, but something that he missed himself. Occasionally she would make a remark that would cause him to turn toward her with a look of pained surprise, which both vexed and amused her, but he gave no expression to his feelings, save that he became grave and silent. After breakfast Lottie said nothing to him about their visit to Mrs. Dlimm, from which he expected so much. Having waited some time in the parlor, he approached her timidly as she was passing through the hall, and said, "'When would you like to start upon our proposed visit?' "'Oh, I forgot to say to you, Mr. Hemstead,' she replied rather carelessly, "'that I've changed my mind. It's a very long drive, and, after all, Mrs. Dlimm is such an utter stranger to me that I scarcely care to go.' But, under her indifferent seeming, she was watching keenly to see how he would take his rebuff. He flushed deeply, but to her surprise only bowed acquiescence and turned to the parlor. She expected that he would remonstrate and endeavor to persuade her to carry out her agreement. She was accustomed to pleading and coaxing on the part of young men, to whom, however, she granted her favors according to her moods and wishes. While she saw that he was deeply hurt and disappointed, his slightly cold and silent brow was a different expression of his feeling from what she desired. She wanted to take the ride, and might have been persuaded into going, in spite of her purpose to keep aloof. And she was vexed with him that he did not urge her as De Forest would have done. Therefore the spoiled and capricious beauty went up to her room more out of sorts than ever, and sulkily resolved that she would not appear till dinner. In the meantime Hemstead went to his aunt and informed her that he would take the morning train for New York, and would not return till the following evening. "'Very well, Frank,' she replied. "'Act your pleasure. Come and go as you like.' The good lady was entertaining her nephew more from a sense of duty than anything else. From their difference in tastes he added little to her enjoyment, and was sometimes a source of discomfort, and so would not be missed. Lottie had a desperately long and dismal time of it. Either the book she tried to read was stupid, or there was something else wrong with her, at last she impatiently sent it flying across the room and went to the window. The beautiful winter morning exasperated her still more. Suppose he had talked religion to me, she thought. He at least makes it interesting, and anything would have been better than moping here. What a fool I was not to go. What a fool I am anyway. He is the only one I ever did act toward as a woman might and ought, even in jest. He is the only one that ever made me wish I were a true woman, instead of a vain flirt. And the best thing my wisdom could devise, after I found out his beneficent power, was to give him a slap in the face, and shut myself up with a stupid novel, capable of noble things. I imagine he has changed his mind this morning. Well, what if he has? A plague upon him. I wish he had never come, or that I had stayed in New York. I foresee that I am going to have an awfully stupid time here in the country. Thus she irritably chafed through the long hours. She would not go downstairs as she wished to, because she had resolved that she would not. But she half-purposed to try to bring about the visit to Mrs. Dlimm in the afternoon, if possible, and would now go willingly if asked. At the first welcome sound of the dinner-bell she sped downstairs and glanced into the parlor, hoping that he might be there and that in some way she might still bring about the ride. But she found only De Forest yawning over a newspaper, and had to endure his sentimental reproaches that she had absented herself so long from him. 
come to dinner was her only and rather prosaic response but de forest went cheerfully for dinner was something that he could enjoy under any circumstances to lottie's disappointment mr dimmerly mumbled grace and still hemstead did not appear for some reason she did not like to ask where he was and was provoked at herself because of her hesitancy the others who knew of his departure supposed she was aware of it also at last her curiosity gained the mastery and she asked her aunt with an indifference not so well assumed but that her color heightened a little where is mr hemstead he went down to the city replied mrs marchmont carelessly the impulsive girl's face showed her disappointment and vexation, but she saw that quick-eyed Bell was watching her. She wished her friend back in New York, and with partial success sought to appear as usual. "'Oh, dear,' she thought, "'what shall I do with myself this afternoon? I can't endure Julian's mooning. I wish Mr. Harcourt was here so that we could get up some excitement.' "'Without excitement,' Lottie was as dull and wretched as all victims of stimulants left to their own resources. But the fates were against her. Harcourt would not be back till evening, and she did not know when Hempstead would return. Addie and Bell vanished after dinner, and De Forest offered to read to her. She assented, having no better prospect. She ensconced herself luxuriously under an afghan upon the sofa while the persistent lover feeling that this would be his favorite opportunity determined to lay close siege to her heart and win a definite promise if possible for this purpose he chose a romantic poem which at a certain point had a very tender and love-infused character he then purposed to throw down the book in a melodramatic manner and pass from the abstract to reality and from the third person to the first he was more familiar with stage effects than anything else and had planned a pretty little scene as lottie reclined upon the sofa he could very nicely and comfortably kneel take her hand and gracefully explain the condition of his heart and she was certainly in a comfortable position to hear a man less vain than de forest would not have gathered much encouragement from lottie's face for it had a very weary and bored expression as he commenced the rather stilted and very sentimental introduction to the gush that was to follow she divined his purpose and she saw him summoning to his aid all his rather limited elocutionary powers and noted how he gave to every line that verged toward love the tenderest accent but the satirical side-gleam from her eyes as she watched him was anything but responsive or conductive to sentiment and finally as she became satisfied of his object the smile that flitted across her face would have quenched the most impetuous declaration as effectively as a mill-pond might quench a meteor but julian oblivious to all this was growing pathetic and emotional and if she escaped the scene at all she must act promptly she did so for in five minutes to all appearances she was asleep at first, when he glanced up to emphasize a particularly touching line, he thought she had closed her eyes to hide her feelings. But at last, when he reached the particular and soul-melting climax that was to prepare the way for his own long-desired crisis, having given the final lines in a tone that he thought would move a marble heart, he laid the book down to prepare for action, and the dreadful truth dawned upon him. She was asleep. What could he do? to awaken her and then go forward would not answer people were generally cross when disturbed in their sleep 
and he knew Lottie was no exception. He was deeply mortified and disappointed. He got up and stalked tragically and frowningly to the hearth rug and stared at the apparently peaceful sleeper, and then flung himself out of the room, very much as he was accustomed to when a spoiled and petulant boy. After he was gone, Lottie quivered with laughter for a few moments, then stole away to her room, where she blotted out the weary hour with sleep unfeigned until aroused by the supper-bell. End of chapter 13